Welcome to Vision is More Than 2020, a podcast aimed at talking about your vision, your eyes, and how they play a role in overall visual and systemic function. Dr. Zolnicki and Lakowski, with the help of various guests, will work to help you understand more about your visual system and all the pieces to the vision puzzle. Hi, guys. Welcome to the podcast for this week. We are going to be answering the big question, what if my kids need glasses? I think every parent that brings their child to the eye doctor is a little bit afraid of what if my kid needs glasses and what does it mean, especially if they don't wear glasses themselves. So we're going to address all the different types of refractive errors that a child could have and really go over when your child should be seen for uh, their first eye exam and moving forward. And that really sort of rolls into our weekly insight. Uh, we want to share with you guys the infancy program. The infancy program is through the AOA that encourages parents to bring their children in between six and 12 months of age for a baseline eye exam. This exam is no cost to the parent. It doesn't matter what insurance you have. If you don't have any insurance, the providers that are part of the infancy program are willing to do these exams at no cost to really evaluate if there is any large issues in the visual system with your baby to make sure that we're addressing things as early as possible. Right. I think a lot of parents are actually surprised that we can do an eye exam at that age, but we have lots of tools in our arsenal to help us detect, again, if there's anything concerning going on. We're really looking for any of those really high prescriptions, big eye turns, and making sure that the health of the eye is healthy, and we're able to really assess all of those things in kids as young as six months old. Yeah, and both Dr. L and I have uh, six months, six and seven month olds, uh, so we are doing these exams on our own children. So we understand the importance of what we're doing, and we really want to make sure that our listeners know that this is an option for them, and it's one that they should really utilize so that you can know that your kids are setting off on the right foot. Right. And then after that infant exam, a recommendation moving forward is if everything's normal at that initial exam, we recommend having your child come back in at three years old. Again, if everything is normal, we recommend one more time right before kindergarten, which usually is between four and five years old, depending on your child's birthday, typically. Um, and then moving forward every year, we recommend an annual exam. Yep, exactly. Okay, so let's say you come to the eye doctor and the doctor says that your child needs glasses. What does that mean, right? Um, I think the most common um, refractive error that we think about are when children need glasses for the distance. Your child says, mom, I can't see the blackboard. So we're going to, like I said earlier, we're going to go over all the different types of why you might need glasses. I'm going to start with the, like I said, the most common one, myopia or nearsightedness. So if your child says that they can't see something in the distance or you start to see them holding things really closely or walking up to the television, that might be an indication that there is something going on with them not being able to see clearly in the distance. Now, when we hear nearsightedness, it's a little bit of a confusing terminology and 
most patients that come in say, oh, I don't know which one is which. And it really means that they can see at near, but the distance is blurry. And it really is the most common type of refractive error. Studies actually show that by 2050, more than 50% of the world will be myopic, which is crazy uh, that half of the world will need glasses just for different distance. And the the reasons of why that is uh, can be a whole podcast in itself, but it's definitely something that we need to be aware of um, as parents and educators and doctors that if your child is starting to show signs of uh, not being able to see clearly, uh, we need to address it sooner rather than later. So Dr. L, what um, does myopia mean and how what what happens with the light in in the eye that requires um, glasses for for distance so myopia is caused by essentially how light comes into the eye when you're myopic the light actually refracts in front of the retina this can be either from the eye being elongated so essentially your eye is almost a little too long so that light falls in front of the retina or it can also be caused by the curvature of your cornea. It can be steeper than usual, which can cause the exact same refraction of light in front of the retina. And then we have to prescribe glasses to then essentially move that image so it falls directly onto your retina. So there are a lot of factors that can then contribute to your myopia. Um, One thing to keep in mind is because it's related to the length of your eyeball, as your body is growing, your eyeball is growing as well. Usually the eyeball isn't fully elongated and formed to its its adult size until you're about 18 years old. So it can be common for myopia to increase as you're growing, just simply related to the growth of your body. Right. Um, and related to that is parents typically ask us, I wore glasses and third grade and my the child's father wore glasses in fifth grade. What is the risk that my child is going to need glasses. And there is a genetic component. If one parent needs glasses for distance, it's about a 25% risk that your child will need glasses. Uh, If both parents are myopic, uh, it's upwards of 40%, almost 50% chance that your child will will need glasses. But there's a lot of environmental factors that play a role as well. We talked about this with the on the episode with Dr. D a, a few episodes back, that spending time outside and being in the sun actually reduces your risk of developing myopia. But a recent study that literally just came out within the past two weeks was showing that there is a link to smartphone use and myopia, increasing the risk of myopia. So like Dr. L said, it it might be just that your child is growing and their eyeball is growing um, and that there's the genetic component, but there's also how we use our eyes and what we do with our eyes that can cause that nearsightedness to start and also progress. Absolutely. And Dr. Zelnicki and myself, we're both myopic. Dr. Zelnicki has gone through LASIK surgery, so now she has no prescription. Uh, but I'm still myopic. I wear contact lenses to correct my prescription. And being nearsighted is something that really affected me when I was younger. I think it's really important to the parents out there to 
to just take home the point that it's important to bring your children in for exams because they don't always know how to report to you that things are blurry. Um, I wasn't diagnosed as being myopic or nearsighted until the very end of kindergarten, and it definitely impacted on my kindergarten year in school. Um, as a kid, I was someone that I really just loved to read. Um, that was my most favorite activity. Even if my mom tried to encourage me to go outside and play, I would take a chair and take a book outside and say, I'm outside, but I just want to read my book. <laughs> and then when I was in kindergarten, um, you know, I was above level for reading and reading advanced books. But when it came to interacting in the classroom, uh, I wasn't really interacting as much as other kids. I was looking at the kids work next to me instead of looking up on the board. If the teacher called on me, I wasn't always able to answer questions. Um, and then it, it came out towards the end of kindergarten that I was fairly my and I needed glasses to see the board. So that's why I was functioning the way that I was. But I didn't know how to tell anybody that, that I couldn't see. I just adapted mechanisms to get me through. I would just look at the person's paper next to me so I could see <laughs> what was going on. And that's probably why I love to read so much. Um, so it's important to bring your kids in just even as a baseline, even if they're not reporting anything, because you never know. And kids are smart and they adapt co compensations to get through. Um, but if that had gone on undiagnosed, that would have really impacted my academic learning. Absolutely. And I think you bring up a really great point that for you, that was just your visual world. Like you didn't know that trees had leaves on them and that it, things were supposed to be sharp in the distance. You weren't able to communicate that things were blurry because for you, that's just how you saw and you thought that was the right way to be able to see. Um, so that's that's a really great point and a really great story. And I think a lot of parents can relate that maybe their kids um, were show, are showing signs that would indicate that they need glasses. So let's talk a little bit about hyperopia next. Uh, that means farsightedness, essentially. Now, this is definitely not only a trickier diagnosis for us, but I feel like also a trickier diagnosis to explain to parents. Myopia is, is fairly straightforward, and most people are generally familiar with recognizing people that need glasses to wear in the distance. They know what that means. But for farsightedness, not as many people need corrective lenses for this, so I, I feel like as many people are, are, are aware of this diagnosis. So what farsightedness means is, going back to that light refraction, it means when light goes into the eye and it passes through all the structures that refract light, it ends up focusing behind the retina. Now, what's tricky about farsighted people is they can use their same muscles that we all use to help us change our focus from distance to near. They can use those same muscles to then essentially move that focal point onto the retina. So this is why not everyone that's farsighted may not need corrective lenses. Um, what it does mean though, is they're really working those fo focusing muscles extra, extra hard. Um, they're using those muscles that we typically just use for up close, but essentially all the time. They're using those same muscles to help them clear up their prescription in the distance. And then they're working essentially almost twice as hard up close to maintain their focus when they're looking at things up close. So a child who is farsighted really may not have any complaints. They may be able to see clearly at all distances, but if their visual system isn't intact enough for them to be able to be using those muscles that much, it may cause some underlying visual issues where they may start to report some headaches, especially when they're doing a lot of near work. They may start to report some eye strain up close, 
or things might get blurry in the distance after they've been looking up so close because they're really working those muscles extra, extra hard. Then when they look up in the distance, it can be hard for them to relax those muscles appropriately. So the kids with hyperopia or farsightedness, we really have to tease out a little bit more of their visual system to see what's going on. But those are the big symptoms that you want to be looking out for with your kids. Yeah. And additionally with symptoms, this might also be a child that uh, can't sit and look at up close for a long period of time. So it might look like they they have an attention issue, but really it's just that they can't maintain that focus for a long period of time. And the way that they're compensating is by getting up and looking away or or not wanting to sit and read. So that's also another symptom. Additionally, this uh, diagnosis really is important for your child to get a full dilated cycloplegic eye exam. And this, by, by dilating the eyes, we can get an idea of their full prescription. Uh, as Dr. Lakowski mentioned, uh, the child can focus through that prescription. But what that means for us as eye doctors is that they can kind of fool us into thinking that they don't have a prescription because that focusing muscle is working as we're trying to examine them. So by dilating them and letting that eye muscle actually relax, we get to understand their full, full prescription. So when you do bring your child to the eye doctor, know that we will will definitely dilate them to make sure that we understand their visual system as a whole. So don't go into the eye doctor saying you don't want your child to be dilated because it really is such a critical part to a child's eye exam to fully understand how they're functioning. Right. I think a lot of people associate those dilation drops with checking the health of the eyes because it enlarges your pupil. And that's how we get a full view of your retina and your optic nerve to make sure everything is healthy. And a lot of kids, in theory, should have fairly healthy eyes um, just due to their age. A lot of eye diseases are more so associated with older age. So a lot of parents want to defer that part of the exam. But it actually enables us to do a lot more than check the health of the eye. It really helps us fully assess what their true glasses prescription is. Um, it helps us accurately prescribe the best prescription for your child. Absolutely. And the last refractive error that we want to talk about is astigmatism. Now, this one is a funny one because a lot of people come in and they're like, I have the stigma. They don't know what it is. And they think <laughs> it's this terrible, this terrible eye thing. But really, it's no different than myopia or hyperopia. It just means that instead of your eye being a perfect round shape, it's shaped a little bit more the common uh analogy is it's shaped like a football where uh, we your eye requires multiple prescriptions to have that light accurately focused on the retina. So all it means is that your eye requires more than one prescription. And it's interesting with astigmatism because you can have be my myopic and have myopic astigmatism, you could be hyperopic and have hyperopic astigmatism, or your eye can have a mix of some myopia and some hyperopia. It's, it's, uh, there's really no rhyme or reason. The most important thing is that um, with astigmatism that we get the accurate prescription so that all the light is focused on the retina accurately. Um, and now people who have astigmatism are similar to hyperopes where they usually can see um, fairly clearly if they squint their eyes. Um, it's 
and they, they kind of make compensations, but big symptoms of astigmatism are that they are very sensitive to glare because of the way that the light is coming into the eye, and they're sent, usually sensitive to the sun. They get headaches, and a lot of patients that have astigmatism say that things are clear, but they're just not super sharp. So if you are noticing those symptoms in your kid, again, or even in yourself, you may want to get a full eye exam. Absolutely. And I think another big symptom to look out for with astigmatism is if your kid is squinting a lot, because sometimes by that squint, what they're doing is they're clearing up like one half of that prescription to help them see a little bit clearer. So that's another thing to look out for. But don't be scared of the astigmatism. It's yeah. not an eye disease. It's just the shape of your eye. I would, yeah. say, I would say nine times out of 10 when I ask my case history of, have you ever been diagnosed with any eye diseases or conditions that you're aware of? People always say, oh, yes. I have stigmatism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know why people are so so afraid of the astigmatism, but it's really, like I said, it's no different than hyperopia or myopia. It just means you have two prescriptions versus one in your eye. Exactly. Um, so let's talk a little bit about how uh, we approach our prescriptions a little different than most doctors, Dr. L. Um, I think, you know, we talk so much about how vision is more than 2020. Um, and when it comes to refractive error, we're just talking about how clearly they can see, right? Like we want them to see 2020, but we look at people a little bit differently. Right. There's really a lot of different ways that we can check your glasses prescription. Um, I know a lot of people really dread going into the eye doctor and that one or versus two process. Um, we call that the refraction. That's part of how we determine your prescription. But I always remind patients, don't put too much pressure on yourself. This is not the only thing that I'm looking at. This is not the only thing that's going to determine your final prescription, because a lot of people put a lot of pressure on to give the perfect exact answer. Um, and a lot of times we're actually looking for that end point during that part of the exam where you're actually saying things look equal. So a lot of times we're showing you very small differences that should look the same. Right. And just a little tip for, for patients, the eye doctor sort of has a good idea of what they're going to prescribe for you um, by the time we get to that refraction and you're just helping us tweak the little um, areas. So like Dr. L said, don't put too much pressure on yourself because the eye doctor typically has a really good idea of what we want to give you from all the other factors. <laughs> Right. So other things that we're looking at before you even get to that part of the exam are typically we're doing something called an auto refraction. That's the instrument where you sit down and you look at the little hot air balloon or the little flower and it gets really blurry. That instrument is actually able to take a look at the, the front part of your eye and how light is uh, refracted by your eye and actually give us a very accurate estimate of your glasses prescription and the shape of your cornea. Um, that's not the only thing that we rely on, though. Dr. Zelnicki and I typically also do something called retinoscopy, where we look with a light and we are looking at how it reflects back from your retina and we're neutralizing that light. And that also tells us what your prescription is. So those are really big factors that we are looking at that tell us what your prescription is. And then we're really just tweaking from there when we're doing that subjective refraction. Other things that we're looking at are what your vision is like if you come in and you're already wearing glasses or you're not wearing glasses, we always measure what your visual acuity is coming in before we prescribe anything. And that gives us a really good guide to what we're going to prescribe as well. Absolutely. And then we also look at something called your visual posture. So how your eyes are working together. Um, are they turning in? Are they turning out? Is there a 
tendency to do that. Um, and we also are looking at what your visual complaints are. Uh, are you just getting a headache when you're looking at the computer for an extended period of time? Uh, is it just nighttime driving that you're struggling with? Because those little tidbits of information give us a lot of a lot of feedback and a lot of understanding of what's going on with your visual system and how to prescribe based on your symptoms. Absolutely. I think that's a really big point is I think Dr. Zelnicki and I differ maybe from other optometrists in that, you know, we're not just looking at your glasses prescription alone. We're really looking at your visual system as a whole. And so we may not give you your full prescription. We may modify, we may cut back. Um, with higher prescriptions, we may give you a partial prescription and then really closely follow you and give you small incremental increases in your prescription. We may recommend things like a bifocal or progressive, even for kids, if that focusing system isn't working the way that it should and you need a little extra help up close. Um, so we are really looking at many, many factors when we are deriving what your final prescription is going to be. Right, and I think that really sends home the message that refraction really is an art. It's, you know, there's a lot of science behind it, but it really is an art of understanding the person and how the glasses affect the person and how it affects their visual system and even just their overall systemic function as well. Um, and I think it's really important to know that when you're bringing your child in for their first eye exam, you don't want to just go anywhere that that does a quick refraction in five minutes you're in and out uh, because they're not really understanding your child and how they're, the child is using their eyes or even you as an adult how you're utilizing your eyes um, so it's really important that you find a doctor that that takes their time to listen to how you're utilizing your eyes and is really thoughtful when giving prescriptions. Because if a prescription is just written and incorrectly, sometimes that can lock the person into an incorrect prescription for a very long time. Um, and we, we talk about this, especially with myopes because uh, they sometimes just want more and more and more prescription. And that could lead down a, a very poor road of just, you know, and becoming super, super nearsighted, which we have to always be aware of. Okay. And then when we are prescribing and recommending a prescription for your child, glasses are, are usually the frontline option, especially in your, our younger kids. But also remember, contact lenses can be an option as well. Um, usually if someone forces me to answer the question, what age do you start recommending contact lenses? My go-to go answer is 12 years old if I have to give it an answer. Um, but really, every kid is different. Um, you know, doctors and Linky and I have fit kids as young as four or five years old. I've even fit infants with contact lenses. Um, so there really is no perfect age. It really depends on the kid. Um, so keep that in the back of your mind also that that's an option. Absolutely. And I think the, the most important thing to remember when uh, going to the eye doctor for your child, it's follow-ups are really so important. Um, follow-ups in the sense of getting them a yearly eye exam, even if they are seeing clearly, but also if they start to need glasses, make sure that you're sticking to the follow-up schedule recommended by your doctor, because you want to understand how the child is responding their prescription and how they're progressing. Absolutely. So I think we covered a lot about 
if your child needs glasses, what do you do and what does it mean? I guess from my perspective, if the only thing in your child's life that is wrong is that they need glasses, they're doing a-okay. Glasses aren't um, the worst thing in the world, although it can feel utterly overwhelming if you've never worn glasses as a parent and your child needs them. But rest assured, glasses allow children and adults alike to function the best that they can, because if you're not seeing a clear image, you can't function at all. So this was our first episode in the beginning of our pediatric series. We're going to be continuing on week to week discussing all things kids and how their vision develops and how it can impact them. Uh, make sure that you follow us on our Instagram and Facebook pages at Twin Forks Optometry. If you have any questions that you would like answered about kids in general, make sure you message or post and we will be answering questions during our episodes.